Hello, and welcome to the Digital Health Leaders Podcast, where we bring the best of the best in digital health leadership to you. I'm Russ Branzell, President and CEO of the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives, or CHIME, and the host of this podcast. These are truly unprecedented times for our industry and our healthcare leaders. These leaders are doing everything they can to support our frontline caregivers and guide their organizations through some of the most tumultuous times in modern history. Today, we have one of those special leaders with us. Well, today we have one of my uh, favorite kinds of digital health leaders to have on the program, and that's one of our military veterans. Uh, this Army veteran served across the world. He's helped build both the physical part and the technical infrastructure for facilities in places I'm sure you've heard of, Iraq, Afghanistan, Kuwait, and so many others in between. Uh, truly, truly one of our national heroes. Longtime friend of Chimes, and one of our board certified members. Uh, he is truly, truly, again, uh, one of our favorite people. So it's with great pleasure uh, that we get to have Peter Marks, PhD, VP and CIO at Wake Med Health and Hospitals in Raleigh, North Carolina. Peter, welcome to the program. Thanks, Russ. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we, we try to ask the first question of everybody the same way. And first and foremost, how are you doing? How's your family doing? How's the extended family at Wake Med doing during these uh, interesting and uh, often difficult times? Yeah, yeah, no, thanks. And uh, just I just want to start by saying thanks for having me. Um, thanks for continuing to support the CIOs and kind of all the extended CIOs. Uh, you know, uh, Chime does so much work with CMIOs and security and nursing. I, you know, it's just uh, to, to see Chime and how it has grown over the past like, 20, 25 years. It's really, really been impressive. And thanks for your leadership. Uh, family's great. Um, we, um, we're doing well. So my personal family we're actually a healthcare family. Uh, I have um, somebody who's about to graduate pharmacy school, uh, my oldest son. Uh, I have a daughter who does surgical sales. She goes to surgery all day. Um, I have a young budding biology major uh, who thinks she's going to be a dentist, and then somebody's going into rad tech. So um, we actually spend a lot of time talking about uh, COVID and sharing experiences. You know, I call my oldest son to ask him about, well, what does remdesivir really do? And, uh, and so um, uh, my daughter called me on the way to work this morning because she was going into a COVID positive case for surgery and just wanted some pointers and those kind of things. So um, for us, it's really a family bonding time, but we do a lot of things I think folks are doing. We do um, uh, kitchen teleconferences and we focus on uh, getting through this together. I think that same thing we're doing as a nation, thing we're doing as a healthcare system. Um, but I, we talk about a lot about how we think that this will actually improve the United States and the world and our reaction to viruses. You know, there will be a virus that comes along that will likely even be more challenging than this virus. And so uh, our reaction to this um, as a family, as a health system, as a country, as a world, uh, is only going to make us better. I'm really interested to see what happens in flu season uh, that comes up. Um, to see if a lot of the social distancing and the masking actually keep people away from the flu. Uh, we also think that, you know, um, we're focused on hope and resilience, but of a very specific time. And um, um, if you haven't read or if, you're, if our listeners haven't read, there's something called the Stockdale Paradox, which talks about Admiral Stockdale, who was, in, uh, who was a POW in Vietnam for, for seven years. And basically, he would tell the story to James Collins, the author of Good to Great, that um, the 
that you have to keep hope. You have to be resilient, but you can't really focus on what well, will be better next month or the month after that, because that just breaks people's heart. And so his quote is, you can never confuse faith that you'll prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose with the discipline to confront the brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. And so um, it's resilience, it's hope, and it's the, the thought that we will get better and we'll get through this when we get through it. Well, as I mentioned on your intro, uh, you are one of our military veterans. And again, thank you so much for your service, your sacrifice. Um, you know, in many cases, I was uh, sitting on nice Air Force bases while you were trudging through sand and, and muck, getting stuff done out there. So again, thank you so much for your military service. Thanks. And uh, in that vein, you know, our, our experiences in the military very much shape our, our mindset of leadership and reaction and doing the right thing and those type of things. For you in particular, how did that experience in the military and all your different assignments shape really kind of how you, you approach the, not just COVID-19, but really your role as a CIO? Oh, thanks. Another good question. Um, you know, a lot of folks say thanks for your service and I'm always honored when they do, but I always have the same reply. And I always say, you know, the military did more for me than I ever did for them. I mean, it's, it's not even close. Uh, I joined when I was in college, I had just run out of money. Um, and I didn't, I didn't really know how I was going to pay for college and saw this sign on the wall said, join the army and we'll help you pay for college. But I really didn't realize uh, the great gift that it was going to be. Um, and one of the things that they really teach uh, is how important it is to say and strive to say yes to things, even when maybe you're cautious or thoughtful or even scared uh, that your experience could be bad. Um, at the time, I was an English major. I had a <laughs> less than a stellar GPA. Uh, but when the opportunities arose, uh, after listening to leaders in the Army, I always tried to say yes. So. Uh, that meant kind of, like you said, you know, I, I got a, a master's and a PhD. I got the opportunity to serve and help uh, fellow, fellow military people in Iraq, Afghanistan, all over the world. And um, always wanted to be there for um, my fellow military people. You're also surrounded by people. One of the things I think it's fascinating, and, and I don't know if people realize it, is you're surrounded by people from all over the country with really diverse backgrounds. So as a young person, I never really left Philadelphia. I was always, uh, that's where I grew up and I was there all the way through college. And so when I got in the military, I met people from everywhere and who had very different views of the world. You kind of ate, you slept, you worked, and you managed challenging problems with them together as a team. And this was another gift that I'm incredibly grateful for that I really didn't expect. Uh, so that diversity of opinion, that teamwork, and that camaraderie are things that I think helped me. I didn't expect them, and part of the reason why I always say they did so much more for me than I ever did for them. Yeah, you know, I, I and, and you look at the the challenges of the world right now with inequities and the and the problems that are out there. And and I know for me, in my military experience, I mean, the, we were all just one big team and family, and you didn't care what gender, what makeup, what ethnicity, anything was, that was my brother in arms or my sister in arms. And my job was to take care of them. And, and I, I would love to see a little bit of that be adopted in the world right now. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, so you transitioned from 
and, and I had to do the same thing, transition from being a military IT leader with a real focus on the mission of military to a civilian uh, CIO. What were the major differences? What were some of your challenges and, and, and what you know, kind of shaped that process for you? So uh, again, not a good question. As um, I see more similarities than differences, uh, especially in healthcare. Uh, so um, that strong people and team focus that we spoke about, when you first go in the military, the first thing that they try and teach you is to change your approach from an individual focus to a team-based focus. So when you go to basic training or anything, you're really, your first three weeks, they're really trying to break down you as an individual and say, you will survive and win uh, as a team. And so that is all they do. And it takes a long time, you know, that, that people look at some of the cultural artifacts, cutting the hair, wearing the same uniform, um, uh, maybe kind of quote unquote getting punished all at the same time, even though you didn't do anything. And they're molding you into the team goals or the important goals, the coordination, the cooperation is the only way that anything will actually really happen. They also build a, an approach or a culture of service over self. And, you know, after my military service, I would always seek out those kind of organizations. I wanted to be affiliated with them. And, you know, I'm here at Wake Med primarily because of that. Uh, when I got out of the military and I, I worked as a civilian in the military for a while as well, um, I started to want to get back into the business of healthcare, see physicians and nurses and patients all day and work with them through problems. And a friend of mine, who's also a Chime member, said, you really should go and talk to Wake Med because they have that culture, that healthcare culture that you want. A little bit about Wake Med. Wake Med started as a healthcare system in the late 50s specifically to care for people of color and the poor who didn't have the means to get healthcare uh, in the system uh, in and around the Raleigh area. And this remains kind of our core competency today. You know, we serve our patients and our families. We take pride in helping those who may not have the means. And I think the transition from the military builds that kind of a leader and a person, somebody who values service over self and wants to make sure that everybody's part of that team. So whether you're in the Wake Med team or you're a patient or family member here at Wake Med, you are in the same team and we have the same goals. Wow, yeah. I didn't even know that about Wake Med. That's, that's truly inspirational. That's uh, quite impressive to say the least. Now, let's, let's talk a little thing about you here because uh, a little factoid that we found out was, well, first of all, you've got multiple degrees already, including your PhD. But yet, for some bizarre reason, you are back in school again. So first of all, you know, why are you back in school again with all the academic credentials you already have? And uh, well, we'll pick up from there. Let's just start with that. So, so maybe I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I still have my full VA benefit coming out. So I still have my, my GI bill. I had, I had it. Uh, it expires after 15 years. Uh, I've been out almost or a little over 12. And so I was thinking about it and, and I just thought she was, I don't want that to go to waste. And it's a great opportunity. So first I'm in uh, the Triangle region of North Carolina, which is just full of some of the greatest educational establishments that you could ever want. So there's just tremendous choices between Duke and UNC and NC State. Um, and 
I think coming out of the military, I had a couple of things I really wanted to work on. One is really understanding the finance of more of the civilian uh, facilities, right? Uh, That's very different. Uh, Also, some of the compliance issues, legal issues. And so uh, I looked around at the schools and I start on August 15th, so less than 30 days, much less than 30 days, uh, at the University of North Carolina. I'll be going to the Gilling School uh, to to get a Master of Healthcare Administration. Um, the program that they have there um, really creates a cohort around healthcare leaders. And so I'm really looking forward to that because even though healthcare is a national issue, it's really locally that um, many things get done. So like sharing information between different healthcare systems to take care of the regional patients. And so I'm looking forward to not just the education, but to really being in a cohort of people who care about health and healthcare uh, in this area, uh, so we can learn together and then hopefully serve the people in and around the Raleigh or Central North Carolina area. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and I start in a couple short weeks. You know, no, nothing like in the middle of a pandemic, world economic issues, all that kind of stuff. Let's let's go back and get a degree. I'm proud of you, man. That that really is impressive. Why why do you have such a passion for learning, though? Because you you could not do this at this time, as I mentioned, without a real passion for learning and for continuous improvement. What what causes that to really be within you? Um, I think a lot of it is just you're never you never arrive. You know, the life is about um, focusing on goals and things, but you never really arrive. And so you can never stop learning. And so this one is really just an incredible opportunity. But um, I think the moment that you think that you've arrived and you know everything about something is the first day that um, you're going to be unsuccessful. And so uh, especially in healthcare and in technology around healthcare, the change is just monumental. Um, One of the things that I'm hoping to do um, is to get much more focused as we are at Wake Med in analytics. And so um, that's something that we're working almost every day on. And so I'm hoping that the educational opportunity provides the opportunity to get better at analytics. And like I said, share more information to treat the patients in and around uh, the Raleigh and the Triangle area of North Carolina. So um, I'm really excited. I'm a little bit scared, (laughs) Um, uh, but I'm, I'm more excited than scared. You know, we had a speaker at Chime a few years ago, a lady, I think she was the first Tomcat pilot. And she said, if you don't wake up every day and what you got in front of you doesn't make your stomach hurt just a little bit, she goes, you're not pushing yourself hard enough. So again, proud of you for pushing yourself. So this passion for learning, for improvement, for getting better, how do you instill that and how do you push your team into that same direction as well? Yeah, we're, we're, we're focused on education. We at Wake Med, we provide financial assistance for folks to get educated. Um, within the information systems department, we create training plans to make sure folks can continually get educated. Um, but it's also just in a lot of shared experiences. So we, um, twice a week now, since COVID started, we do an all IS presentation. Uh, that is not a formal education from a university, but is it is a opportunity to share what's going on within the healthcare system, 
how we're treating those patients, how we're treating our normal patients at the same time, but then to get feedback from the staff. And so to make sure that kind of in that continuous learning environment, that we're not just saying, well, here's the, here's the information and the data, right? Getting that feedback on the way that they see and their ideas around treating these patients, that's also a form of education. And so, um, like everything else at Wake Med, there's a lot of pride in continuous learning and making sure that people have those opportunities. We try and promote a lot from within, uh, get people those educational opportunities. We have a very formalized program in allowing people to get to the next level without a new job opening up. So we have a tiered system of you know one, two, and three. And if you meet certain educational requirements and experience requirements, uh, we'll promote you um, without you having to wait for a job to open up. So it, it's, there's tons of opportunity and folks take advantage of it. Wow. That, that, again, that, that just shows a lot of leadership there. Today's episode of the Digital Health Leaders Podcast was brought to you by our segment supporter, LK, your healthcare data plumbers. Learn more about LK at ellkay.com. Well, let's talk about a thing that you and I both have some experience with, and that's you know the the military and some of the efforts they've got going on. I know you worked for a little while in one of the program offices when after you retired, but um, you know the military and the VA are are deploying what I refer to often as the largest EMR installation in the history of humankind um, <laughs> as they roll out as they roll out Cerner across all the military across the globe, plus all the VA across the United States and the other places around the world where there's VA establishments. And uh, you and I got some basic training in the military. You went through the, the basic course in the Army. I went through it at the Air Force. But, you know, we weren't really trained to be CIO leaders. We were trained to be leaders, but not really CIO leaders. You know, what, what do you think should be being done to, to really help those leaders now as they take on such a massive organizational change initiative? Uh, another good question. I, I think they have it. I, I know they have it, right? They, there has always been a focus on making sure that the health information was shared to support the patient experience. Um, they were, the military and the VA were some of the first innovators in this area. So before there was really Epic and Cerner and uh, all the other major EHR vendors, the military had already done this and the VA had as well. Um, they, they knew they had to do this. They had already had an integrated healthcare system where a patient would show up in California one day and in Germany the next, Japan the third. I mean, that may be a little exaggeration, but it could happen. Um, and so I, mentally, they've been there for a long time. They're an integrated health system. And they've always been there with the VA too. I think they're doing the right thing in moving to the same system but they've been sharing information between the Department of Defense and the Veterans Administration for 20 years, and they've been working on it. So I'm really proud of uh, how they started, how they were the original innovators, and now where they are going. And so I think they're following a pretty traditional path for IT systems that in the innovative organizations, they start by building their own uh, because they know they have a problem that needs to be solved and they can't solve that problem through the market. But after a while, uh, if the market catches up and it creates something that you can buy more as a service, then it makes sense to make that investment in the service because they're going to continue on and they're going to make that service work with multiple stakeholders, um, even outside your organization. 
And so I think they're driving to their exact right thing. So it's more than just, and this is important, it's more than just sharing between the DOD and the VA. That's incredibly important. But all those patients, um, there's a, it's a big percentage, I can't remember what it is, I thought it was like 65 or 70% of the patients actually get care in the civilian side as well. And so when you make those relationships with those EHR vendors, you're not only sharing between the DOD and the VA, but you're increasing that sharing for that health information of those patients. And really what we need to drive to is that the patients are actually the owners of their own health information, where they're part of getting their own health care. And it's not going to be easy, but all important goals start with something that's not easy. And, um, you know, we are, and, and the federal government is pushing us in this direction as well, but we are sharing more information than we ever have, and that's a good thing, and sharing it with patients. So right now at Wake Med, if you get a COVID test, you get your results at the same time that your physician gets those results of the provider that ordered the test. Because we're trying to change healthcare by having people own their own health information. So the DOD, the VA, the civilian sector, the closer we can get to people owning their own health information for it being something that transports with them, no matter what system they go in, is the thing that's really going to change the way I think that we approach healthcare and create that partnership between the providers, the system, and the patients. Wow. And, you know, a lot of what was there, the VA built their own system, Vista, and uh, we had CHCS and CHCS2 and the provider desktop and all these other things. Now, for lack of a better term, I'm sure it'll be tweaked, but it's kind of a commercial off-the-shelf system with Cerner. You know, how do you think that mindset of where in the military, we, you know, we always got what we needed to do the mission, but now we're, it's kind of a standard package. How do you think that challenge is going to work out? Uh, when I was there, I was working the Cerner deployment. Um, I certainly wasn't the subject matter expert, but had a lot of experience. And my sense of what was going on is that Cerner was making sure that their system did two things at the same time. It met the needs of the Department of Defense and now the VA, uh, while at the same time, it met the ability to do standard work for health information. So I, I just really think they're in a great spot. It, it's not, it hasn't been easy. It's not going to be easy. Nothing, nothing worthwhile is ever easy. But I think they are completely on the right path. And I think Cerner is a great business partner for them. Uh, and it's going to be, it's going to lead to better information sharing for everybody. So let's, again, let's just talk a little bit about you. I appreciate that by the way. And, and boy, I love the thought that nothing easy, uh, worthwhile is ever easy. And boy, I'm not sure that anything could be much harder than, than this. And, uh, uh, we constantly are trying to figure out how to help them, but, uh, you know, how did you get your start? You, you mentioned, you know, going into the military is, is, is the military who kind of forced you into healthcare IT? Because I know even, I'll just say it, honestly, I, I got into the IT side as a complete and total fluke. It was an accident. I just happened to be at an assignment at the right time in the right place. They said, by the way, you also have IT. And I said, what's IT? They yeah. said, you better walk into this other building and figure out because you got to put something in in a couple of weeks. And that, that literally is my uh, entry into health IT. So what's kind of your story got you into that? Yeah, no, thanks. Um, I, I used to teach um, at Baylor in an MHA program at Baylor. And one of the things I would have my students do is interview their CIO to figure out their background. 
And the thing I always found most fascinating was the question that you're talking about now, um, because you know, back when I went to school undergrad in the um, mid eighties, there, there weren't a lot of kind of computer science programs. There were some, but they weren't really applied like the way we look at information systems now. I mean, it was heavy on the math. And so um, when they would get their backgrounds, uh, none of them had a computer science degree and they all kind of fell in to doing computers. So in the military, the people who I would find more often that were doing IT stuff at the leadership levels were lab people, pharmacists, because they were the innovators, the early innovators in how to use health information, because a lot of their work was standard work, and you know, you could, you could make pharmacy happen, you could make lab happen. So for me, um, uh, I was an English major, I don't know if I mentioned that, I did, I'm sorry, and um, I had gotten in the military, and I started to really just enjoy the, the quote, military stuff, unquote, you know, I, I like to deploy, I like to train, uh, I like to lead soldiers, but we had at my company headquarters, or 130 people at the company headquarters, we had a, an old 286 machine. So this was 1990, uh, 286 machine. And we had to do a lot of reporting through it. And every once in a while it would break and it wouldn't work. And I just kind of enjoyed, didn't know I would enjoy it, but enjoyed kind of poking at the buttons and trying to work it. And then I grew a reputation of somebody who could fix the PC. And so um, the military at the time was trying to create these CIO positions, and they had a lot of very technical people doing it. And so the, and you may know Art Irish, Colonel Art yep. Irish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he came to see me because he knew I kind of liked it. And he said, um, hey, do you want to be a CIO? And I said, not really, because I don't really know much about computers. And I really like the leadership side of the military. And he said, that's really what we're looking for. We're looking for more people who can communicate ideas and lead people. And, um, and so I kind of said, sure, why not? You know, as again, earlier on, I said, you, you say yes to as many things as you possibly can. And, um, and so started a CIO job at a small 40 bed hospital at Fort Lee, Virginia. Um, loved it. Um, uh, at the time, if you got them the internet and email, you were a hero. I mean, people would walk around and give you high fives in the hallway. That doesn't happen as much anymore. Um, because we're <laughs> part of it, we're part of this, we're part of the delivery of healthcare now. So we got what we asked for. Um, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, I'm so grateful to Colonel Irish, uh, for coming down and saying, you know, I, I don't need somebody who necessarily has the pedigree in IT. I just need somebody who can what we would call shoot, move, and communicate. So um, very fortunate uh, for the leadership on his part and leadership that I didn't recognize at the time. So, so let's talk about that thread for a second. And one of the things that we've defined as part of our 3.0 curriculum is understanding the difference between change leadership and change management, kind of that leadership of helping people get to there, wherever there is in this change world that we're in right now. Versus, you know, project management and ITIL and that kind of stuff, which are all critically important. But this concept of change leadership, what does that mean to you of helping people change? Yeah. So, again, my hat's off to Chime. So um, your educational programs (laughs) prepare people for things that they may not even see themselves. And so I think... Uh, the focus on change leadership and the Chime Hit 3.0 leader as a, that skill program is incredibly important. I think more people should get involved in that um, if they want to be CIOs of the future. Um, 
with that, and you mentioned it, there's a really strong relationship between leadership and management. So I think sometimes people will say, well, you need to do the leadership and not the management. You have to do both at the same time. So the management is focused on you know, the meeting the milestones, the, maintain, the maintenance of resources. They, they are the underpinnings of anything that helps you actually achieve a goal, okay? Simultaneously, the leadership is, so that's important, it should be minimized, but the leadership incorporates all the elements of management, but it's really focused on motivating people, everybody, peers, subordinates, leaders around you to achieve goals that they may not think are possible. Or, or, you know, to do some boundary spanning to see what may come out there and then help an organization get focused on that. Um, our focus on Wake Med, at WakeMed right now, besides COVID and everything related to it, is on data and analytics. Uh, so I spend, gee whiz, probably 40% of my day or 50% of my day or more working on data and analytics because from a change leadership perspective, that is the thing that's going to help WakeMed more than anything else take the best care of our patients. Um, and there's not a great roadmap for it. You know, I've done a lot of research. I do a lot of work in Gardner. I do a lot of reading. It's not one of those things like the deployment of an EHR, which people have done so many times that they have created processes to make it happen. And so in the beginning of this journey, it's more about, it's about the leadership. And we, we have recently partnered with Health Catalyst out of Salt Lake. And from them, we were able to focus on what's most important about analytics, which is the patient outcomes. And so instead of going into the conversation with what I would say is more the change management, which are the principles of deployment and those kind of things, the leadership part is this is something that's going to change the outcomes for patients. It's going to help us with our sepsis. It's going to help us with our population health. It's going to help us with problems that people see, but they don't know precisely where to start and to recognize that's more of a journey uh, to get there. And so uh, we have, we signed, the, we signed a contract with them in December. We had worked with a lot of companies for about eight to nine months trying to figure out what we wanted to do. And I am very happy to say that that leadership has really created a bunch of other analytics leaders that kind of just come out of nowhere. And so um, our chief of critical care is one of those leaders where, you just give them the vision and an opportunity to get some data and then a purposefulness around standard work to make data the driver. And then all of a sudden, these leaders come out of the woodwork to, be, to get on board and be part of the change. So um, even though there's a difference between the management and the leadership, they work together hand in hand. Here at Wake Med, our focus there is on analytics and we're creating that journey with our partner health catalyst that's awesome so so on that note you know we we we, we have some crazy change coming to healthcare over the, what we thought was really going to be like the next decade some of it occurred in weeks but you think about some of the stuff that's coming with ai and machine learning and blockchain and robotics and drones and self-driving cars i mean just all this next wave of revolutionary technology you know some and, and i've been pre preaching on this as part of my my some of my lecture series on understanding we're leaving the information age and moving into this new age of, of high technology type of stuff how are you all looking at that kind of that next generation of stuff at, at wake med so we have a very strong 
innovation organization here. Um, and it's not just an organization that exists kind of in one side of the organization. It, it creates a pervasiveness uh, through the CEO and everybody else to look at problems differently. Um, in fact, you mentioned drones. Uh, Wake Med was the first organization to get a commercially licensed drone to deliver healthcare products with our partners in UPS and some other organizations. And, um, you know, we started by, uh, we have, um, you know, it's a pretty big campus and we have lab draws that are happening throughout the campus and just picking up that lab box and bringing it back to our central lab. And at the time, it was interesting and it was thrilling, but um, now that we're in COVID time, the ability to get those tests back to that patient as rapidly as possible and to that healthcare staff. So, you know, people who work in healthcare understand that if you have a patient present to the ER and they have the symptoms, you want to get that test so you can get them to the right spot as rapidly as possible. And we're even um, trying to put the finishing touches on getting the drone to carry those supplies because, you know, we have health flexes all over um, the Raleigh area, the Wake County area, and that's a huge part of getting healthcare to people. But that innovation, um, it just starts to take off if you allow it to take off. Now, um, I, I, I talked about our approach. We're all in for data, and we have an eye on using that data to predict the, the typical challenging issues, you know, so a little of an AI focus that can help remedy, but we also want to be realistic. You know, you really have to be able to crawl before you can walk before you can run. And so um, getting that innovation and just the basics around data and analytics are the things that put you in the best position to do AI. But we never lose sight on what that data can do in terms of AI for sepsis, readmissions, population health, and all the, the really prickly pair problems that all healthcare organizations have. Wow. So our time's getting close to an end here together, Peter. So, so maybe one last thought, thing you'd love to see accomplished in the industry, anything just la that last pearl of wisdom you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, I think people need to be in charge of their own health data. Um, I think that that, we're talking about analytics, but those are all opportunities and precursors to get people more focused on their own health information for them to be a bigger part of their own health care and for us to use population health to find those patients. I think we lose a tremendous amount of um, opportunity in healthcare and money um, because we have patients that, um, that if we had the right data and if we put it together in the right way, we could predict the problems that they're having. And when I say sepsis, we're really talking about inpatients, but I, now I'm talking pop health and the outpatients. Um, that is a path that we're strongly on. Um, we, we believe that if we can keep people healthy, that it's not just the best thing for wake med and healthcare, but it's also the best thing to create an ethical environment, uh, a moral environment around healthcare, that people have access to healthcare and they can stay healthy. That's, that's really what healthcare is all about. And I'm really excited to be a part of it. Well, Peter, again, uh, thank you so much again for your military service, your sacrifices for this country, for you and your family for that, but even more so now, thank you for your service to WakeMed, for the patients, the community you serve, and we wish you the best during this crazy adventure of that, combined with uh, getting your MHA done. We look forward to hearing how that's going for you. So again, thank you for being on the program today, Peter. Y'all are awesome. I appreciate you and what you do for the community. 
Thank you. And we would like to thank you for joining us for this episode of the Digital Health Leaders Podcast. You can visit our website at chimecentral.org forward slash media or at Apple or Spotify for this and all of our programs. For now, take care, stay home, wear your mask if you're out, be safe and God bless. Today's segment of the Digital Health Leaders Podcast was brought to you by our supporter, LK.